0: It's time to Accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 491, 491 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record, where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. Joining me on Accelerate today is Derek Draper. Derek is the CEO of Pattern. It's an application that's an enterprise notepad for sales teams. Now we're going to talk a little bit about Pattern, but I also invited Derek onto the show to talk about some writing he's done about the daily habits that successful sales reps share, that all successful sales reps share. So really interesting to get into that and also talk, get his thoughts about sales productivity. So let's jump into it. Derek Draper, welcome to Accelerate.
1: Hey, thanks so much, Andy. It's great to be here. I'm uh, really pleased and honored to be
0: on the show. Well, wow, we're we're pleased and honored to have you on the show. So, um, first question, it's sort of a, a broad question, but it's it's one I like to ask founders and CEOs of of companies like yours. Is, so, what what's the single biggest challenge sales reps are facing today?
1: Um, you know, I, I think uh, I, I was actually looking at your podcast recently, and there was a an interview you did with Jill Conrath and it was it was overwhelm, and that really resonated with me. I think for the salespeople that we uh, talk to and we build for uh, sales is increasingly complex, and um, you know salespeople are asked to do a lot. They're asked to manage relationships with multiple different stakeholders inside an organization. Not to mention, you know, a lot of the folks that, that we build for have you know lots and lots of those relationships. They're tasked with managing anywhere between 100 and 300 accounts, um, and they're you know managing those relationships across a whole bunch of different systems that really weren't designed for them. Uh, and they're forced to either just you know be dropping the ball left and right or I think you know a lot of times the very successful salespeople that we see are people that are just um, you know freaks of organization <laughs> and, they, and they just refuse to let balls drop or they drop as few balls as possible and that just means that they're more responsive to their customers they're more attentive they they're following the process that they should be following or that they believe they want to follow more consistently than their peers and that uh, in my mind is what Ends up leading to a lot more success. So I actually really like Jill's answer about just kind of dealing with the you know the overwhelming nature of what sales is today is, is being the biggest challenge.
0: And when you refer to sales, are you talking about SDRs, inside sales, field sales, account execs, all of the above?
1: Um, well, I think it's hard to to draw generalizations uh, for every single type of role. Um, at every single type of company and, and all that sort of thing. I mean, I, I'll tell you who we think the most about. I, I think a lot about what I, you know, the people that I think are the future of selling, which are your today, you the folks that are, um, you know, they're in their early twenties, for the most part, maybe don't have a tremendous amount of experience. And uh, again, they're tasked with managing a bunch of these different relationships where, where buyers, the people they're talking to are more educated than ever before. Uh, You know, it's interesting to think about 10, 15 years ago, salespeople as the conduit of information. I mean, before the internet really proliferated, Mm -hmm. the only way that you could effectively understand, you know, what's out there and how it worked and what it costs was by talking to a salesperson. And that was a really distinct advantage for us as salespeople. But now, you know, there's too much information out there. Buyers are, are, you know, a lot more educated than ever before. And I think that puts the salesperson at at somewhat of a disadvantage in the traditional sense. And that's why you see a lot of people talking about the best salespeople of today and the future, the ones that are able to be consultative, be client focused and help build the bridge between, you know, the client's business and their problems and, and what, you know, a given product can do to, uh, to help to help create value in that organization, as opposed to just simply releasing information, giving demos, providing proposals, etc.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, so sort of two points about that, is, and I'll try to remember <laughs> the second one after I ask the first one. Yeah, sure. It's not always easy. Is is you use the word disadvantage? So how how do you envision sales people today are sort of a disadvantage, or it's just they're not as advantaged? Let's say as they were before. <laughs>
1: Well there there's a lot of you know there's a lot of people in sales that believe that you really should control the process um, and the more that you can control the process from end to end, the more likely in a perfect world you are to give that buyer a good experience and the more likely you are to be able to sort of put them through the experience that
0: you think is gonna put your product in the best light. Um, so and, you know there, controls an illusion though, right?
1: Uh, I mean, I think the buyer is ultimately in control sure. know, at the end of the day, but I guess my point from the previous comment was that you know, if you don't know, if you don't have information, it's hard to kind of know where to where to go and how to drive the conversation. Versus, I've seen all kinds of different stats out there and people seem to disagree fairly significantly. But you know, some people say that a buyer's journey is 50% or 70% complete <laughs> before they engage with a salesperson. And other people say, no way, that's crazy. You know, yeah, I know. that is people a, are,
0: a touchstone of controversy. Yes.
1: But I do think that people are just, you know, whether they, they They believe it or not, they they're much more empowered today to kind of understand what's out there, to identify price points, to make decisions or assumptions before ever engaging with a salesperson. And mm-hmm. sometimes you know that can not work in your favor. Um, and I guess that's what I mean by disadvantage in the sense that you don't it, it's harder to it's harder to know when you speak to a customer than it was in the past because you kind of could know that they didn't probably have a ton of information about. What that person has done up to date, what their real intentions are, and sort of, you know, the process that they have gone through and would like to go through versus, um, you know, versus what you want to sort of guide them through, if that makes sense.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, I know there's a, a excellent book out there called Absolute Value, written by a couple professors from Stanford about this idea, sort of extending some of what you talked about is is that given the abundance of information. That's out there, and not just you know product information put out by vendors, but review sites and right. and other places that that actually uh, buyers are at a point now where, contrary to their belief is based on their research, that contrary to sort of this opinion that that buyers are overwhelmed by information, that actually buyers are actually pretty adept at navigating the information that's out there and all these you know said review sites, vendor sites, so on to actually have a much better understanding of, of what sort of the, the experienced utility would be of, of of actually a product that they're considering to buy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, yeah, I mean whether to your point about that that point, whether fifty percent or whatever, you know, I think it's almost immaterial because at some point they're gonna have more information than you than you expect they have uh, in right. the process, whether it's at the beginning or after two calls or whatever, that that bounce has shifted.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why it's critical that you know the value of a salesperson has moved from just simply supplying information, telling someone how your product works, to really understanding their situation, um, aligning with their problems, and uh, you know then building a bridge back to your solution and how you can help. And that's something where I, where I, you whether. It, whether it just wasn't a requirement maybe as much in the, in the you know, previous days before buyers were so aware, I, I think it is definitely much more of a requirement of success in, in today's and the future sales world just to you know, really align yourself with the customer, understand their, their pain points, and, and also like, you know, realize when, when you can't help somebody and be, uh, you know, be value-added in that perspective and realize you're not trying to sell everybody. You're really trying to find people where there is a fit and you can add value. And If, mm-hmm. there, if there isn't that fit, then you need to move on and find somebody else.
0: So based on another comment you had made earlier, is is so yeah, we have these these certainly in in the valley or in the tech space, you know, we are pioneering the, the whole inside sales model the SDRs, specialized sales roles, and so on. Is, so how how in your mind do you see that this cohort of new people coming into the profession, how are they going to progress in their careers? Because you know, this first step that they're on is by all, you know. Opinions pretty much of a brutal <laughs> weeding out job mm-hmm. um, that gives them limited exposure to the entire sales process. Mm-hmm. And certainly, a buying process. will you know, flip the flip it. So how 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 are we helping them evolve? Right? How we make sure these people learn what they need to learn in order to progress and become the account execs, whether inside it or field sales reps or whatever.
1: It's a great question, and I so I, I would draw from my experience here back as the VP of sales at a company called Wildfire that was uh, sold social media marketing software back in the, in the heyday there, and that was a fast-growing story. I joined that company in 2009 as the fourth employee and first salesperson, and three years later, uh, our company was 450 people. We were doing almost 50 million in sales, and my organization across sales and customer success was 300 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had an SDR team of about 50 at that point. And uh, you know, the SDR role can can be a brutal one. Um, you're you're asking people without a lot of experience to come in and effectively get rejected <laughs> many many times per day. And, and I, I you know I can speak from experience because that was my first job as well. Uh, before the term SDR even existed, I was kind of what was called an account executive uh, back in you know the early 2000s. My job was just to make 200 phone calls a day and try to set up appointments for somebody else. Uh, I think where we found success was, you know, understanding first of all, that not everybody's going to make it. And, and that's okay. You know, I think people naturally are interested in trying sales for a variety of reasons. And there are some people that stick and some people that don't. And we we hired people, um, not with the kind of assumption that they would move into sales, but more giving them uh, the idea that this is a way to try out sales. And, and beyond that, it wasn't just about doing the job, it was about kind of building your skill set. It was a curriculum of how to understand not only our space but the mechanics of selling and begin building the skills that are required to be a successful account executive. And so, it, you know, part of, a big part of it was doing the job, but there was also a big part of it that was education, that was progression, uh, and then that was kind of you know team oriented, helping other parts of the org with different you know ma- managing the sales cycle from different perspectives. And it took us some time to kind of tweak that. Um, I had a, a great uh, colleague by the name of Dan Davis, who, who led that effort for us. And by the end of that program, uh, well actually, sir, let me, let me step back and say what was really great about that, that experience is, you know, people, whether they stayed in sales or not, they, they had a very warm uh, feeling and strong cultural identity and and bind with the organization. So that our SDR group became the primary feeder for almost every role, every non-technical role inside the company. If marketing Hmm. needed to hire, they came and said, Hey, can we talk to your SDRs, you know, product, um, customer success. I mean, a lot of people would come and steal, you know, quote unquote, steal people from that organization, which I thought was really great because those are people that were kind of, you know, interested in looking at other things anyway. And they just very quickly plugged into these other roles, which powered the growth of the company and kept culture really strong. Um, But by the end of that program, or, you know, roughly around the time of acquisition, what we had found was we we understood exactly where the kind of graduation rates were, where it made sense to to take someone from an SDR and put them in an account executive role. And, uh, you know, at that point about, i think of of the top twenty five percent of our performers in the account executive role, eighty percent of them had gone through that training program, and so we just found that as a much stronger pool of talent you know to excel at the- ex- account executive level and we could kind of effectively control their learning and their process mm-hmm. as a- as opposed to hiring people externally that quote unquote had experience and w- would hopefully be good I mean our hit rate there was not quite as high
0: yeah, well, that's funny i just I just sort of wrote about that for <laughs> another company that asked me to contribute to one of their blogs is, yeah, is this much more rational way to go about it than relying on the hired guns coming in from the outside that you know have a resume that's full of one-year stints at a variety of places. And as you said, they may or, not, may, or may not work out. But the only thing you know for sure is they'll be gone in another year. And right. you, in the meantime, right. you haven't you haven't developed your bench strength. Right. Yeah, very interesting. It's funny, I'm glad you went into that detail, because I you know, spoke to a lot of CEOs in this company, and this, a lot of CEOs on this show, and not many have been as deliberate in being able to explain, okay, this is how we're using this role to develop people. And I like the the sort of spin is not just for uh, roles in the accounting exec, but for, as you said, the non-technical roles throughout the company, because these people understand it. Probably as well as anybody at that point,
1: right? I think it was—it was funny. I mean, we were hired, we were interviewing so many people, and our, for, for our account executive roles, and our job description was sufficiently vague, where we would consider kind of recent grads as, as well as looking for people we'll call it a, a year or two of experience under their belt. And we kept interviewing all these folks, you know, that, that had just graduated from school that seemed really bright and very motivated, and and hungry, but we just kept going, you know, they don't feel like they're, they've are they got the experience. So they're going to be able to excel in this account executive role right away. And that was sort of the genesis for us of saying, well, why don't we hire a bunch of them, turn them into SDRs. And this was, you know, mind you back probably 2010 so the beginning of uh, that SDR revolution. And um, it, it was just, it was fantastic. I mean, I think it really worked for us in terms of growing the company and keeping culture strong and training people to sell the way that we want them to sell and not, not hiring someone in from externally and trying to correct bad habits or um, you know, get them excited about our product versus another product they've sold. So I'd wholeheartedly recommend that.
0: Yeah, yeah. or right. you're not dealing with the culture fit issue, which is, is really a critical yeah. one in sales. So, all right, well, let's talk a little bit about pattern. So, how does pattern help at all with this challenge of the overwhelm that we talked about at the beginning? I mean, is that, what's it set up to do? And tell us a little bit about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, if you don't mind, I can go back a little bit to uh, some of the pains that I faced at Wildfire as a VP of Sales, sure, and sure. Two of the big to the big problems that that we face were around data entry. How to how to get data from the front lines into your system of record when you know you're conflicted about bothering your reps to go do this kind of really boring menial task of updating information, which you know they're probably not likely to do kind of an entirety anyway, uh, and needing that information to power the forecast to power the business. And the second. You know, big thing that we that that I personally struggle with at Wildfire was creating replicability. How do you, um, you know, you, you have a process, you develop, you know, sophisticated sales organizations develop a process, a recipe for how they expect sales to be done, uh, and they want their reps actually following that process. And I, what I found is, you know, creating that is the first step, creating a process is step one, but implementing that process is actually really difficult because. Um, it's just very hard for reps to take something theoretical that that is in a poster on your wall in the office and integrate that into every single interaction they're having with customers. Mm-hmm. And uh, my co my co founders and I started kind of looking at that problem from our perspective as leaders and sales ops people and realized that it's not so much about the lack of data in the system and more about the fact that the tools that exist today for reps you know that are used when they're engaging with customers are really you know they're not um, specialized. Reps are using off-the-shelf consumer-grade tools like email, calendar, a phone, you know, just a regular phone, and a notepad, uh, whether that be a digital format or a, a pen and paper format, that, that doesn't help them, you know, gather context about the people they're meeting with, the, uh, the, you know, the opportunities that they're chatting about, the products they're speaking about, and doesn't help them during the course of that interaction by giving them the right um, guidance in terms of call, you know, people, some people call it a play, what play to run, what questions to ask, what activities to complete, and then. Know, what what structured data to uh, to send back to the system and to other people in the organization, and so that was for us was the inspiration behind Pattern, which is effectively trying to create a window into that meeting, um, you know, to give sales reps uh, a competitive advantage when they're meeting with customers, and and pre- preparing them to have a great outcome, to helping them execute that meeting, and then you know taking care of a lot of the follow-up work afterwards, but the sharing of that information to a system of record and to everyone else in the org, so. We very much try to deal with that overwhelm problem by connecting those disparate data sets, um, trying to keep you know, the, the reps process as simple and as consistent with what it is today. While we, under the surface, obfuscate a lot of that complexity and, and handle a lot of that, uh, the workflow on their behalf to free them up to have more conversations
0: with customers. And so is this tool, I mean, so may take people, the listeners through just a little bit step by step, because you use the, the framework of a note, um, which yep. is this, this overlay that in sort of two or three different ways enable you to put information back into system or record, which for your case really happens to be Salesforce. Because mm-hmm. I don't think you've, you, you haven't done any other integrations other than Salesforce, right?
1: That's correct. That's what we're integrating to Salesforce
0: right, okay. at the moment. So may take people through like the workflow of how, how it would be used.
1: Sure. So, I mean, the, the simplest way to think about it is, you know, when we go out and talk to the reps in our in our market or in our um, demographic, seventy five percent of them are using a digital note taking solution to collect information about their customers and their customer engagements, and the you know the majority of what's used are the likes of Evernote, Apple Notes, et cetera. And know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think those are perfectly fine tools. I mean, Evernote is uh, is very well designed for the purpose of being kind of a general consumer product, um, but that you know, Evernote is not deeply connected to the systems that you use most regularly—your email, your calendar, your CRM. It doesn't understand the people that you're meeting with um, by default. It doesn't understand where those people are in a selling cycle and kind of what mm-hmm. you should be, what you should be, you know, mentioning to them. And so, you know, what we're what we're finding success with is is helping reps understand that instead of using kind of an off-the-shelf tool that's meant for, you know, the average sort of commercial or uh, or, or consumer user, Pattern is, feels very much similar in the sense that it's a place where you can take notes, but it provides a lot more rich context, um, you know, about what you're doing. So we've tried to make the, the switch as seamless as possible uh, and keep keep people in the flow of what they're doing today, just with a whole lot more intelligence and uh, automated workflow to save them time and make them
0: smarter. So if- is this something? No. Is this geared for SDRs or account execs? Um,
1: we, we we definitely have users across both roles. I would say the uh, you know the strongest fit thus far has been with account executives, and you know I, I guess we think about sort of the tools in our landscape. And there's a lot of tools out there. Some great companies that are that are doing a lot to help drive that first interaction, right? With the the, the first the literal the first call between. Whether it's an SDR or an AE in that prospect, and and then those tools effectively shut off, and they go back and find more people to talk to. But th- there really aren't any systems that we can find that are effectively trying to help that salesperson navigate the complexity of that relationship, mm-hmm. um, and and you know end up with a successful close. And that's I think the area that we're focused on is you know, once you make that human to human connection, how do you really get the most out of that relationship? How do you how how do you um, successfully navigate that relationship from "Hi, I'm Derek" to "Hey, welcome aboard. You're our newest customer."
0: And so, again, you now someone's gonna be sitting down at a uh, you know their computer. They're looking at what looks like a note, basically, right? So mm-hmm. it's you know sort of yeah. extrapolating based on what I've seen is is um, which you can bring some Salesforce fields into this note. Mm-hmm. So maybe take people through that a little bit.
1: Sure, yeah, so I think you know just to simplify it a little bit, if we think about if you use um something to the likes of Evernote or Apple Notes today and you're in sales or customer facing role, all we're really asking you to do is just you know change the place where you take those notes, um, and that's pattern. and so you can you can take notes the same way that you do in Evernote. but then at the end of that interaction, uh, we already know who you're meeting with in terms of the company. We know you know what opportunity it is. We know, which people are in that meeting. We've done research for you on those people. And then at the end of that, that meeting, what you can do is just effectively say, Hey, I want to, sh- I want to share this information with my team and with my CRM. And we handle uh, the many operations that, you know, either in some cases aren't being done or are being done very tediously, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, with, with the click of a button. And so that is what I think when we hear from our users, they're saving five hours per week in terms of just, you know the the like 7 p.m. time blocks of like updating their pipeline. <laughs> you know those things are those things are gone. They can end up spending more time, you know, calling for new customers and doing doing other things that add more value than data entry.
0: Well, but then also you have this facility to be able to. Uh, well, I mean, the discipline and the habit of taking a note is a critical a critical habit to get into, I believe, for sales, because. Mm-hmm you know, trying to recall everything. I mean, I remember my my first first job, we were out making cold calls in the field, and we'd make 30, 40 cold calls a day, you know, some business park over in Hayward or Union City, and and then we have to go back up and fill out our call sheets at night. <laughs> when we, exactly. And it was complete fiction, right? So right. now, since you can do this, you know, in the moment, it mm-hmm. uh, you know, accurately capture what's going on. So you're not relying on Everybody's memory is bad. You just have to owe up to him. It. it's listening to the show, you think you have a great memory, the fact is none of us do. <laughs> and and so instead of, you know, incorrectly remembering things, you you can have details there that that accurately reflect what happened in the call, which I think is one of the, the huge elements that's missing, short of, you know, Manchester sitting down listening to every recorded call that was made,
1: mm-hmm. is
0: now they have a way to get more detail.
1: Yeah. It, it's funny. I mean, we, obviously this is our business, so we think a lot about this and we talk to people and it seems like there's definitely a split between people that actually will go back and look at their notes um, and get value from that versus, you know, just the value that you get in terms of recording something in the moment, it's more imprinted on your brain. You're more likely to remember it. Um, I think there's some, obviously some combination of both, but you know, in the, in the, going back to the overwhelm comment as reps are, uh, you know, just bombarded with lots of stuff, it, it definitely is helpful to have, quick context at your fingertips regarding like oh what was you know what did we talk about where did I leave this off what are my action items uh, and how do I get that as effectively and quickly as possible and so we're, we're seeing a lot of resonance um, with our user base in terms of the product that we're, we're bringing to market at this point on that on that front
0: well I think one of the thing that it seems like you would facilitate with this too is that to me again it's another sort of essential sales behavior that you want to get into if you want to continue to build rapport and trust is sending Recaps of meetings or calls mm-hmm. to customers because, yep. I mean, first of all, it's it's perceived to be impressive because very few people do it. It is a <laughs> differentiator, uh, and from the customer standpoint, they they are saying, "Wow, this person respects my time."
1: Mm-hmm. I I mean, I I've seen research that says that you know the the happiest, most kind of longest tenured customers, one of the biggest. Uh, determinants of those customers is their satisfaction with the sales process, and it's I just, just you know whether you say it's the you, know, you only get one chance to make a first impression or there's some other thing there. I'm not I'm not sure, but I've always been kind of a uh, an organizational freak, and it it's for me it's always been really important to just try to be as responsive to customers as possible, and in terms of you know getting back to them quickly, but also being attentive and understanding their needs and. I just, you know, it's unfortunate when you see salespeople that either just, you know, they can't manage that or they don't feel like that's important. And that's one of the, one of the core tenets of what we're doing here at Pattern as well is leveraging that data that we have, right? We can see when you go meet with Acme Acme Corporation, we can see that right after that meeting, you have yet to send a follow-up email. We can actually prompt you to say, hey, let's make sure that you don't forget to do that. Because if, you know, if you wake up a week later and you forgot to follow up that great meeting with the action items and the things that you, said you were going to deliver, I mean, guess what? I think your chances of winning that deal declined pretty dramatically. And that's just one little tiny step, a little interaction in the process. But those things add up and they're really important.
0: Well, they do. And So when you send a note to to a prospect, you're, let's say it was a good meeting, is you're just like a, you reading your notes or you taking a note physically so it reinforces what was said, sending that note and them reading it reinforces the good feelings and what they felt mm-hmm. they experienced out of that meeting. And to your point, it's yeah the you know it's been all over the literature in the last year the value of the buying experience or the sales process you talked about it, is a you know critical element in customer satisfaction.
1: Yeah, totally. And I I have this kind of crazy vision for the future that I don't know I don't know if it I don't know when it will materialize, but I, I believe that there will probably at some point exist um, I don't know if it's a tool or if it's a framework or it's just kind of best practice where there's there's a portal in which the buyer and seller can communicate uh, effectively so that like you know i mean if you if you think forward and you know, maybe the future of pattern is that the notepad is collaborative in the sense that like i'm selling to you and we can both be on there at the same time and i can assign tasks to you and uh you know that system can kind of make sure that you're being kept kept up to speed on that and that effectively we're working together um, it's not this sort of I've got my process that you don't know about that I'm taking you through and you've got your process that I mm-hmm. don't know about that I'm trying to uncover. Instead, we're mutually agreeing that, hey, if, you know we're both into this, we want to see this through to completion when you know when lose or draw, let's work together. Let's, let's collaborate. You know And I mean there's, there's all kinds of new collaboration tools out there for internal communication. It's, I, think, I think it'll be uh, just a natural extension that that turns into something that exists between folks in different companies.
0: Yeah, well, as you said, I mean, so many of the pieces exist right now. It seems like it wouldn't be that far into the the distance. I mean, there's companies out selling the you know buyer portal type type services. You know, SaaS companies, uh, mm-hmm. buyer deck, and you know, ClearSlide sort of has that type of functionality to some degree, and so on. Is is uh, it tends to be a little bit more for delivery of information versus versus the collaboration. But you can certainly see right. that there's there's steps being taken in that direction.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels like there probably needs to be, to me, some sort of a a shift, a a belief shift. Where I might be wrong, but where there's actually, you know, this becomes kind of like the way that buyers want to be uh, sold, and the way that sellers want to engage in a buying process. And for whatever reason, I'm just not feeling like that that sort of watershed moment is here yet. And I'm, I guess, I'm predicting that it'll come, but but maybe not. You know, maybe people prefer to sort of have their own. Their own process, and they want to sort of reveal that as as they see fit for their own advantage.
0: Well, I think I think part of the issue is, and this was raised, I think, in in the book, uh, the Challenger Customer, is that, yeah, you know, this process of buying, whether it's a you know the subscription to a, a SaaS application like yours, or buying something a little more complex, depending on the level of complexity, is not something that companies practice. They don't practice the buying of that, so it's not. Right. Yeah we we keep wanting to say yeah this customer has a buying process yeah I don't think most companies do Right, they may, not a, have, not they a, may they, have not a codified
1: one, is what you're saying. I mean, of course, they're they're going to go through some process, but it's not totally clear. It's kind of random as it
0: as it unfolds. Right, because they haven't done it much, or they didn't do right. it before. The people that did it when they bought last bought it two years ago are all in different res- levels of responsibility. So yeah. they have they have an approval process based on dollar sure. signing authority. Right, but you know what? What's beneath that? Yeah, you know, I, I still think sellers need to sort of come to grips with the fact that. Buyers really don't know it. I mean, that's sometimes part of your role is to help yeah. them understand how that's going to take place.
1: Yeah. So one of my uh, favorite sales trainers is a guy named Skip Miller, and he sure, always says buy, buy, buyers want to be led, and I I agree with that. I think um, I think mean, this is where there's a big opportunity for companies like ours and people that are selling products like ours is to kind of to to be students of how people are buying and what organizations seem to be managing the process successfully. Uh, and and kind of represent that as a model to to our customers to say, hey, you know, you may have a totally different process. That's fine. But here's how we see this unfolding to you know mutual success on both sides. How does this look? You know, does this seem off base? I think people are inclined to say, oh yeah, that makes sense. Maybe I should get my legal team involved sooner. Um, you know, maybe, I, you're right. I probably do need to involve my security person because if if I don't, that's going to be something that ends up holding up the deal at the last minute. Uh, So I think there's a big opportunity for us as sellers to, you know, be students of that and then deliver that back to buyers as as a value, right? As a way that they can actually make sure that they're doing the best job to evaluate solutions, whether there's ours or somebody else's.
0: Yeah, I mean there are some some thought leaders out there that have been sort of advocating this for a number of years now. That that's really the first step in the selling process is helping the prospect understand their buying process. Because Mm -hmm. again, for most, you know, other than commodity type products, things that are bought infrequently. It's not going to be codified because it doesn't happen that often right exactly so I mean, it's a good a good step to uh, to take and yeah and then yeah, it starts the whole consultative selling, but you know the other sort of caveat there though too is you know we have a ten- we have this tendency to try to oversimplify it's funny we've push pull. sometimes we're making our sales process too complex, but on other hands we're also sort of maybe not understanding what all the steps that are in it um, and buyers, mm-hmm. buyers, I think, have the same issues. And we want to say, "Oh yeah, we got a, we got the six-step process, and you know, we've got defined exit criteria for every stage, each of the six stages, but each stage could have 20 steps in it.: mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like we're not, we're not reconciling that part yet, which is, I think is still something else that's, that's to come that helps sales teams be more efficient is really understand all right. the steps they have to go through, because each one consumes time
1: yeah we think a lot about that. Um, and there's definitely you know from a product perspective, we're starting to tackle that in a way that I think is unique in the market. but I guess my my kind of my interpretation of that is maybe it's just that sellers were optimistic. Um, I mean I think you, you kind of have to be optimistic to be in sales. If you're pessimistic, you know, the amount of rejection that you get on a daily basis, I think if you're just naturally pessimistic, it's hard to stick around and survive all that rejection. but because we're so naturally optimistic, you know, when you hear, uh, one of those, one of those buying words, or you see one of those buying signals, we're just, you know, we're, we want to cut corners. We want to, um, jump to the next stage. If somebody calls in and says, Hey, that's a great, you know, I love what you guys are doing. Send me a proposal. Like we, we just get real excited and we fire off a proposal, even though that probably in our, you know, heart of hearts, we know that's maybe not the best thing to do. We should probably step back and go, Hey, let's do a little bit more discovery. Let me understand a little bit more, but, it's just hard to, it's hard not to be optimistic. And it's hard sometimes to, to be disciplined about being methodical and, and you know, going slow effectively to go fast. Um, well, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's the, is the key.
0: Couples. That is the key yeah. is going, because if you skip the step, you have to come back and, and repeat it. Um, and that,
1: and that's, that can be hard, you know? I've oh, sure. This you the disrupt the deal. Day, you know? If you've already given someone a proposal to go back and say you want to do a discovery call, I mean, good luck. You know, I think they feel like they've got what they need.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, how'd you give me a proposal without us doing discovery? Hmm, <laughs> right? Yeah, but I, right. Well, I was, uh, had recently just interviewed David Allen, who wrote the book, Getting Things Done. Yeah, sure. I don't know if you've read that book, but, um, sure. and I reference that in, in my book, Amp Up Your Sales, is that, you know, we can define a five-step process, but I sort of did that hypothetically, and, and so the first step was responding to an inbound lead in this, this one hypothetical one I put together. You know, I are twenty four steps in responding to an inbound lead.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you do that every single time? <laughs>
0: right. I mean, yeah. if you're gonna you got to do some research. I mean, I, I don't want to bore people by, by reading through it, but so so yeah. How do we how do we really effectively put those you know that level of detail? We just assume people sort of have the the right. discipline, the habits, and the behaviors to take all those twenty four steps, but right. that's that's really where we end up missing things. And yeah, an application like yours starts helping in that regard because you're documenting real time and right. you can begin to see okay, yeah, there's you have our 24 elements of this step, and we've only done 16 of them. We've ever finished it if we really want to be responsive to the customer,
1: right? I think that's right. I mean, to you know, uh, one of my former um, colleagues and friends said that the top salespeople are the guys that do every single step of the process, one to two percent better than everybody else. And over time, that adds up to a, a pretty large uh, advantage in terms of winning. And, yep. and you know, there's there's a couple ways to, to handle this. I think one is that systems can understand now, uh, you know, when these steps are not being done, and they can actually assist with helping getting those steps done, whether it's doing them automatically. I mean, that's you see that. In the SDR kind of email automation space, right? That's what cadences are all about. Like we're gonna, you know, send an email, and if that email's not responded to three days later, we're gonna send something else. We're not waiting on the SDR to go send that next email.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so I, I think systems definitely have a have a role in this. And then the other angle—I mean, I, I struggle with this because I'm a person that, again, like I mentioned, is sort of a Type A organization person, but. I just think it's it's unrealistic to expect as a sales leader. I think it's unrealistic to expect that every single step in your process is followed every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think so. That's one thing. The second thing I would say that, as I think about this from my own experience, what's just as important uh, as developing the process and training someone on the process is is instilling the belief in those people that the process is is going to add value, that it's going to result in a better outcome, because. You you know, until we get to the point where we automate salespeople entirely, or you literally just have them click through every single action, you know, kind of in a rote manner every single day. I mean, you really need to rely on people to be motivated to, to to create the outcome that they want. And if they believe that this process is going to help them, they're much more likely to learn it, internalize it, and try to execute it versus. You know, I think the the alternative is management decides that, hey, we need to have a sales process. We do a two day offsite with all the leadership team, and we develop this five stage process with a hundred steps, and we roll it out to the sales team on Monday and say, like, all right, this is your, you know, this is what's now expected of you. I mean, good luck, because yeah. I just don't think, you know, people people aren't going to believe in it. If they don't believe in it, they're not going to do it. If they don't do it, you know, one, the outcome that you want isn't going to materialize, and two, you're going to be endlessly frustrated because nobody's nobody's doing what you want them to do. So the the belief for me is pretty critical in well, getting sales folks to do this more often.
0: Okay, so let me last question cuz we have we've already run over but mm-hmm. but great conversation. So what the is what they need, a belief in your process or a belief in a process? See, cuz one thing that, that that I see is that at least in, in sort of this, you know, sort of inside sales predictable revenue model that, that you know, everybody's embracing in, in, in Silicon Valley, is, is you know, they're, we're not taking advantage of, you know, the, the uniqueness, the individual strengths and so on of individuals that maybe have a process that's, you know, might not be conforming 100%, but is going to be much more effective for them. Mm-hmm. So I I want them to believe in a process absolutely, but I'm not sure that we serve ourselves well by saying you have to believe in this process.
1: I would yeah I would I would definitely agree with that. I think where I see the process being <clears throat> I mean, so in my own experience when when I was VP of sales at Wildfire in the very early days, our sales process was nothing more than stage names uh, on opportunities in Salesforce, mm-hmm. and then you start to realize that you know salesperson A's idea of what uh, discovery stage looks like varies widely from salesperson B's. And then you get to the point of saying, well, um, you know, not only for people that maybe aren't performing incredibly well or new people that come into the organization, it probably makes sense to demystify that black box of what we expect sales to do. Or you know, we're going to do the research to figure out what, what does a, success, a successful sale look like on our side. Let's just document that. And I think where that becomes most helpful is for people that are underperforming and, you know, can't clearly articulate that they have a process or don't Mm -hmm. understand why it's not working and new people in the organization. I think if you, I mean, at some level, I think there's, there's some element of process, whether it's at the stage level or something else where you kind of need everybody to generally conform, but if your top salesperson you know, likes to run discovery meetings differently than, you know, quote unquote is your best practice. I mean, go for it. You know, I think that's where you, you actually can harness that, that innovation and sort of update your process, innovate your process and learn from, you know, the best of what's happening on the floor uh, to impact the rest of your organization. So I would definitely agree that you don't want to you know stifle any innovation. You want to make people, you don't want to make people follow the exact process that you've created because you think it's the best because the minute you create it, it's outdated. Yeah. Uh, I just think to your point, yeah, you, you want to train people to believe that a process um, and one that they can articulate and one that they can ideally measure is, is helping. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to lead to a better outcome.
0: Yeah, I just uh, find it sort of ironic at times that companies in an industry that are predicated on the idea of disruption are most intent on propagating a sales model that's most about conformity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I just find the irony intriguing. So, well, uh,
1: I mean, you know, there's probably another conversation, but there's, you know, similar to what we we're talking about, buyers having more information than ever before. I think there's just long, long been this belief that sales is an art. It's like, you know, it's just you're born successful at sales and you just got to find those people that are really good versus understanding that sales can actually be a little bit more of a science. Um, I think, well, I think so. you're starting to see that emerge now and people breaking down what a successful seller looks like, what a successful sale looks like and trying to help other people, whether they be underperformers or new people, to sort of emulate those behaviors as, as consistently as possible. And uh, I think that's really promising. And I'm definitely a belie- believer in that approach.
0: Yeah. No, well, it's definitely a combination of the two, science and art. So, well, good. Well, Derek, we could go on forever, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to take up any more of your time. So, thanks for being on the show. So, tell folks how they can find out more about Pattern and connect with you.
1: Absolutely. Um, thanks so much for having me. This, I, I would agree this has been a really fun conversation. And um, if you're interested in checking out Pattern, it's free to try. Go to getpattern.com. Uh, and you can email me at Derek at getpattern.com if you like. I'm not much for Twitter these days, but uh, my uh, Twitter handle is at dbdraper. If you want to tweet me, I might uh, I might tweet you back. I'll, I'll try to stay on top of it. But uh, feel <laughs> free to send me a question or drop me an email if anybody wants to chat.
0: All right. Great. Well, again, thank you for being on the show. And, and friends, thank you for spending this time with us today. Remember, come back join us again tomorrow another great episode. And uh, until then, take a minute, please, go to iTunes, uh, subscribe to this podcast, leave a review. I want to hear what we can do to serve you better and provide more value for you. So, again, I'm your host, Danny Paul. Thanks for joining me. Good selling, everyone.